The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter and chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The Word of God says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. We are continuing in our verse-by-verse study through the, ver- the book of First Peter. And as I've told you many times, this is a, a letter written by the Apostle Peter to first-century non-Jewish Christians, primarily, who were scattered throughout Roman provinces in northern Asia Minor. Now, that is important for you to know because it has bearing on on the text that we're about, about to unpack. The cities that they were a part of, these Christians, were not Christian communities. These were places of great immorality, great spiritual darkness, great wickedness. And how many know when you live in a culture like that, it can be challenging to live for the Lord? These believers feel like misfits. They are feeling the tensions of what it means to be in the world but not of the world. Living here, but they are, in fact, citizens of heaven And so Peter writes to encourage them in the midst of suffering, in the midst of great frustrations as they're trying to live out this Christian life. He writes this wonderful letter of encouragement. And oh, it's a great encouragement to us today because it could be argued that we live in what we call a post-Christian culture. Have you noticed how dark and how immoral even our culture is getting in America, in the Western world? And it is tough and it is frustrating at times to live this life out for God when we're surrounded by this kind of overflow of wickedness. And because the world around us seems so dark, there are some Christians who ask the question, Lord, it's so bad here. Why do you not just remove me? From this place. Why, why, when we get saved, does the Lord just not take us home to be with Him? If in fact it is uh, better to be with the Lord than to be here, why does God not just take us out? Well, Peter gives some reasons and some encouragement to us 
that we as Christians have a mission here on earth. We've got great purpose, and we started unpacking this two weeks ago. You might remember, if you were here, if not, you can check this sermon out online. It'll be a great encouragement to you. But we looked several verses back that in a couple aspects of our purpose here on the earth as believers. Number one, we learned this incredible truth that, friends, you and I, we are part of the temple of God. In other words, we are God's place in the earth. Christ is the foundation of the new temple. You remember in the Old Testament, the, the temple, the tabernacle, these were places where heaven and earth met. This is where God's presence dwelt. And now, Peter says, we're being built up as a spiritual house. And we have his presence, and we are, we are that meeting place. Now, we have the presence of God. We are God's place in the world. But secondly, we talked about not only are we God's place in the world, friends, we are God's priests in the world. And again, this pushes us back to the Old Testament, the priest were the ones out of Israel that could do the ministry. Not anybody could minister and offer sacrifices to the Lord. But the priests were the ministers. They had special privileges. And now, because of what Christ has done, because we are in Christ, we are all part of this priesthood, which means we all have a part in his work, in his ministry. It's just incredible. In today's passage... We see another purpose for us being here. Not only are we God's place in the world, and not only are we God's priest to the world, but in, in the world, but we are God's, get this, people in the world. We are God's people. All right, now I don't try to act like I'm hip and in the know, and I don't think hip's even a cool word anymore, is it? Um, but but I, you know, I hear people say this all, all the time. I, th I think, teenagers, you can tell me if this is still cool or not. But, but when you introduce somebody, hey, these are my people. Do, do people still say that? No, okay. It's all right. At some point in, in 1979, people said, uh, whenever, you know, people said, these are my people. It was good, like if you knew a, a celebrity or, or, or you knew somebody who, who had a little bit of clout, somebody had some pull, listen, it, it was good to say, hey, these are my people. It's an incredible privilege. Well, Peter tells us here, friend, you are part of God's people, amen? We are his people, and that's our first point if you are taking notes. Verse 9, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Peter again here, what's he doing? He's using Old Testament language once again. He, he's talking about privileges that were reserved at one time only for Israel, God's covenant people. And now, He's writing primarily to non-Jewish believers, and he's making this outrageous claim about them and us that if we are in fact in Christ, friends, we are part of a chosen race. We are part of a royal priesthood. We are part of a holy nation. We are part of a people for God's possession. This language is drawn from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Let me just read you a, a couple of these verses at least. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you. You see, the same language is used here. To be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. God chose Israel to be used in his redemptive plan, and not because they were great. God chose them because of mercy. And now Peter says, hey, you are part of this chosen race. This is glorious news. If you are, in fact, in uh, in Christ, you have been engrafted into God's people. It's incredible. Let's just walk through this. Number one, he says that we've been chosen. Peter identifies all who are in Christ as a chosen race. Just as God has chosen Israel, so he has chosen us Oh, what a privilege this is. How many remember back to the school days? Uh, maybe perhaps you were one of the ones chosen on a sports team. How many ever got picked? How many ever got looked over when they were picking teams, all right? It doesn't feel good to be looked over, does it? Think about this. God himself has chosen you. Is that not incredible to think about? He has called you, and it's not because of any merit in our own. It's mercy. It's grace. He has called us. He has chosen us. What a great feeling. We're part of a, get this, chosen race. Now, here's what this means. My identity is not first and foremost in my race. I'm not first and foremost a Caucasian man. It's not in my nationality. I'm not first and foremost an American. No, my identity first and foremost is in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we lose cultural appreciation for for different people groups. And like, no, we celebrate the differences of others. But ultimately, my identity is in Christ. And if that's not what defines me as a Christian first, then we'll have divisions in the church and we will be hindered in our spiritual walk. Before you are a a, a certain race, before you are an American friend, you are a Christian. Your identity is tied up in Jesus. This was an issue in the early church between Jews and Gentiles because the the Jews wanted their Jewishness to to outweigh their identity in Christ. And it caused tension between the Gentiles and the Jews. So Peter, or excuse me, Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, writes this, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying that there are no differences in different people groups. He's not saying that that male and female, that, that, you know, you just pick what you want to be, like our world's telling us today, that, you know, women and men are the same and you just decide which. No, there are profound differences between men and, and, and women. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that, you know what, your identity, though, is in Christ. You're not first a man or a woman, Jew or Greek, red, yellow, black or white. No, you're first a Christian, and you belong to Jesus Christ. So we've been part, we are part of this chosen race. Isn't that tremendous? 
Number two, we're part of a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We talked about the priesthood of believers a couple of weeks ago. Again, uh, not to be redundant, but the, the priests were the ones who had access to God's temple. They did the work of the ministry. We can all now, it's not just the high priest who can go into the holies of holies. We all, friends, can boldly go into God's throne room. You don't have to call me to get access to God. You can go into his throne room. You can go into prayer and approach the Father by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. Well, Peter kind of takes this even deeper uh, and makes it even grander here. He says, we're part of the royal priesthood. Now, if you are sitting next to a Christian, do you realize you are sitting next to royalty? Somebody look at your neighbor and say, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. You are part of a royal priesthood. The spiritual house that Peter talks about that we are part of in in verse 5, he's saying, friends, it's a royal house because we're connected to the royal king. Revelation 20 and verse 6 says this, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be, this is for all who are in Christ, they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He is the ultimate king, and those who are in Christ are part of his royal family. And we will rule and reign with him. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is king, ultimate king, not us. We don't call the shots. There's some doctrines going around right now uh, that, that put us on the throne. No, friends, Jesus is on the throne. We're here to serve him, not the other way around. We're here to do his will. He's not here to do our will. So we're a royal priesthood. Then he says we're a holy nation. He's now alluding to Exodus 19.6, which says to Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To be holy means to be set apart. Israel, under the old covenant, was to be a nation that was set apart from the world around them. They were to be in a relationship with God. They were to live for His purposes. And this is tremendous news for us who are, we who are under the new covenant, all true believers, regardless of where they may reside, we're part together of a holy nation. We have been separated from the world, all right? Now, listen, I'll give, give you a little bit of doctrine today. Positionally, we have been what we call sanctified. All right, positionally, if, you, if we are Christians, we are sanctified, meaning that simply means we're set apart, we're cleansed from sin, and we're set apart unto God's purposes. All right, so we are positionally, as soon as you are saved, when you receive Christ, when you believe upon him, profess him as Lord, repent of your sin, you are in Christ, you're part of a holy nation, you are positionally as sanctified as you'll ever be. You're set apart for God's good purposes. However, what we grow in as Christians is what we call progressive sanctification, meaning that, okay, we're set apart, 
but we learn to act like we're set apart as days go on. Every day, you ought to get a little closer to Jesus. You ought to be a little more like Christ. This is the growth process. This is the, the, the road to Christian maturity. So positionally, we're all set apart. We're sanctified. We need to learn to act like it. Amen? All right, so we are part of this holy nation. By the way, I, I love this country, but my allegiance is not first and foremost to America. It's to Jesus Christ. I'm first and foremost a citizen of this holy nation. Then he says we are a people for his own possession. So I'm going to try uh, to take a stab at this uh, Greek word for you. I'm not a Greek scholar. But the Greek word um, here is periposesis, I think. And uh, if there's no Greek scholars in here, then we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll go with it. All right. So the word rendered in, in English is possession. And here's what it means in, in the Greek. It means to purchase or to acquire for a price. To purchase or to acquire. We are God's own possession, which means we've been purchased at a price. If you go to the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul writing in chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And here it is again, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The price to make us his possession, as Paul reminds us here, was Jesus Christ. Friends, we have been bought with a price. And it wasn't cheap. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of God the Son. This is incredible. This is glorious news. So now we, God did this. So, he, you know, he has saved us for himself to make a people for himself. God didn't just save you for you. God saved us for him. He says in Isaiah 47, talking about Israel and by implication now us. He says that he formed Israel for his glory. His purposes, that's what we're here for, for his glory. We're his possession, and he bought us at a high price. Now, there is a general sense in which everybody and everything belongs to the Lord. The, he owns the earth and the fullness thereof. But there is a special sense in which we belong to God as his people. There is a general sense in which God loves everybody, for God so loved the world. But do you know what? And you, I'll prove this to you. Let's go back to Deuteronomy again. I'll read this, and then I'll, I'll share with you what I'm thinking. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9, he says, you, the, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you. So my point is this, there's a general sense in which God loves everybody, but there is a special affection that God gives for his people. That is glorious news. We can't be arrogant about this because it's not like, you know, he, he didn't set his love on Israel because they were great. He set his love on, on Israel because he is great and he is merciful. 
a people that others would have not chosen. They wouldn't have got picked to be on the team. And that's why God's chosen us, not because we're great, but because he is great and he is merciful. Let me find my place again here. We're part of this holy nation and we're a people for his own possession. Let's just consider these truths very quickly. We're a chosen race. Think about it. Chosen race. Royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. I don't know how you came in here, but you ought to not walk out despondent and despaired when you consider this. The creator of the universe, king of kings, Lord of lords, has chosen you. He's made you a part of his people. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, if these things are true about us, then the truth ought to have an incredible impact on our lives, wouldn't you think? Like, you don't, you don't know this about yourself. These things don't happen to you, and you just go on as normal. That's why somebody, when they say that they're saved, but yet there's no change, I would question that they're really saved. We'll know them by their fruit. So let me give you two ways in which these truths should, in fact, impact us. Number one, and this is the second point in your notes, The first way this should impact us is this. Our theology, this theology in particular about who we are in Christ, should result in incredible doxology. All right? Now, doxology is simply a form of praise to God. All right? We sing in our church the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? It's it's praise. That's what doxology is. In the second part of verse 9, we find an overarching purpose for all of these glorious truths that we just talked about. Look at this, the second part of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John MacArthur writes this about this verse. He says, there is no greater privilege than to be a herald for the gospel. This is what we're called to do, to proclaim His excellencies, the gospel, to a lost and dying world. That's why we're here, to be God's place in the world, to be His priest in the world, and to be His people in the world so that we might proclaim His excellencies to everyone. And our understanding of all of the things that we've talked about, like if it doesn't cause us to overflow into joyful praise, something's wrong. All it is is knowledge, and it's useless if that's all it is. The Lord is looking, the Father is looking for someone to worship Him in spirit and truth. Not just know truth, but to worship Him according to that truth. See, here's what I'm convinced of. The Bible is really important at this church. I don't give you motivational speakers, I, speeches. I teach you the Bible because we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. He didn't say preach what's popular in your culture. No, preach the word. And that's our conviction at this church. Everything is centered around the word of God. But here, here's my philosophy Our worship ought to get deeper and deeper and deeper every week. Why? Because the word is preached. 
And if the word doesn't cause you, the, the real word of God does not cause you, does not impact your worship, doesn't cause you to worship God in a deeper way, Something's wrong. I'm not just trying to make us smarter Christians. Oh, I want you to know the Bible. I want you to know doctrine. But if your theology does not affect your doxology, there's a major issue. Peter's reminding these first century Christians and us that we are not meant to fit in the world. We're meant to proclaim God's mercies and His excellencies to this world. So this is our overarching point for us to be here. We're here for His glory to worship Him and to proclaim His gospel to others. Now, you will constantly speak about what you're most passionate about. I could spend a day with you and I'll know what, what drives you. If your family is of the utmost importance to you, you'll talk about your kids, your spouse. If your hobby is most important to you, hunting, fishing, sports, crocheting, underwater basket weaving, whatever you do, that's what you'll talk about. It just comes out of you. If, if your physique is what's most important to you, that's all you'll talk about. If your job is, is what's most important to you, that's what will consume your language. We are supposed to treasure Jesus Christ above all things. Yes, that means above family. Yes, that means above work. Yes, that means above hobbies and everything else, even above ourselves. Some people are infatuated with self. That's all they talk about. So, we're called to proclaim His excellencies. The only way we'll do that is if, in fact, we treasure Jesus Christ above all things. So the point of these truths this morning is not just to make you smarter. It's to raise your affections for who Jesus is and what He's done. That it might overflow into praise and worship and to you proclaiming His excellencies to this lost world. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I don't have time to get deep into this, but Peter here alludes again to the Old Testament. He's referring to the book of Hosea, and he now applies this to the church. But what an incredible thought for these Gentile Christians who once felt like outsiders. It was all about the Jews, right? And they're being reminded now, listen, you were once not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think Peter is reminding all of us to remember where we came from, where he's brought us from. I had a good friend, I have a good friend, one, um, who... Uh, I have a good friend who, who is an entrepreneur, and he grew up pretty poor. And uh, this man, he decided at some point in his life, I'm going to work very hard. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to live in poverty my whole life. I'm going to make something of my life. And uh, he's one of the hardest workers that I've ever met. And he had one of the first um, tire store quick oil, oil change places in 
uh, central Kentucky. And as a matter of fact, when he first started, he didn't have the money to have real bays like you have now when you drive in these quick oil chain places. He dug out in the dirt uh, places to, to change oil. And he ended up making a, a small fortune off this and other businesses. And what I love about this man is that he appreciates what he has because he remembers where he came from. He knows what it is to not have. But I've got other friends who kind of were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they're well off, and they don't have that same appreciation. There's a tendency just to, to take for granted what they have and, and to almost feel entitled to it. And you know what? We're reminded in this verse that you and I, we need to remember where we came from. There was a time when we had not received God's mercy, but now we have received His mercy. I think Peter is, is encouraging these first century Christians who are frustrated because they feel like misfits. He said, hey, remember how you were. You were a people who hadn't received mercy, but now you are part of the people of God. And friends, who cares if you feel like a misfit? If God before you, who can be against you? Amen. If God's on your side, if, if he is with you, if you're walking with him, if, he, if you have his applause, who cares if anybody else recognizes you on the earth? So we've got to come to a place where our theology results in incredible doxology. Number third point here, second impact that this ought to have on us. If we are his people here it is. We must live according to his plan. If we are his people, we must live according to his plan. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Here's the implication. If we are a holy people, positionally, beloved, we ought to act like holy people. In the way we live, in the way we treat others, we ought to act like a holy people. It is inconsistent with the Scriptures to say that you are all of these things, part of a chosen race, part of a holy nation, but yet do what you want to do, not what God wants you to do. It's paradoxical to call Jesus Lord, but yet not do what he say, says. Jesus said himself, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not the things which I say? People want to do this, right? Oh, yeah, give me Jesus, but I still want to get plastered on the weekends. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, I, I, you know, this is big today. Um, it's creeping over in the church, sexual immorality. Um, you know, the Bible warns against it. Any sex uh, outside of marriage, any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. And, and some people approach, well, I, I love Jesus, but, you know, I, I really love my girlfriend. Right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Christ would say, and do not the things which I say? It's inconsistent. It doesn't make sense. If we're a holy people, brothers and sisters, we must live like a holy people. Our speech 
Okay, and I'm not just talking about cussing. I'm, well, you shouldn't cuss, to be sure. But I'm talking about complaining and grumbling. Right? Let's not be a people who complain and grumble. What, what's the Bible say? Do all things without complaining and grumbling. We ought to be a forgiving people, not mean and hard and cold. No, act like a holy people who have been redeemed. If all this is true for you because Christ gave his life for you, how in the world can you treat somebody else like dirt? Well, you don't know what they did to me. Who gives a rip what they did to you? Treat them like God treated you, not like somebody who's never received an ounce of mercy in your life. Get over yourself. I didn't mean to get on a soapbox here, but a couple people are. One person's happy about it. All right. You must have grown up with that old-time preaching. Seriously, we need to act like holy people. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God is watching you. People are watching you. What you do, what you say really, really matters. I love this because some people say, well, pastor, I try, but I just can't help it. Beloved, I urge you, verse 11, as sojourners of exiles, to abstain from passions of the flesh, which means this. You have the ability to abstain from the passage, the, from, from the lust of the flesh. If you did not, we would not be commanded to do something. That would be cruel to command us to do something, yet not give us the ability to do it. We know from chapter 1 and other places all throughout Scripture, we know that we have the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and helps us walk in obedience. But there is a war going on in every single believer. There's a war. It's the war of the flesh and the spirit. When you're saved, you get, an, you, you get this new bend in your heart towards the things of God. You want to please God, but you still have this nasty stuff called flesh. And I'm not talking about your skin. I don't want anybody coming in here skinless next week. He's talking about our sinful nature. And don't think there's something wrong with you if you feel this temptation to do those things that you used to do. It's not a sin to be tempted. What becomes a sin is when we give in to that temptation. And we can never say that, well, I just couldn't help it because the Bible says we'll never be tempted beyond what we can bear. It just won't be. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. It's a fight. That's why the more we read the Word of God, the more we change what we watch and what we listen to. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but what we put in will come out. You have trouble with your language? Maybe don't watch whatever on Netflix that has 60. I have this thing called Video Angel, and it takes out cuss words. And you can see some of the shows that I see our church people watching. And I, listen, I'm not saying that I've never watched anything. This is not a, me on a soapbox going, oh, wow, I'm so holy. No, I've watched things I shouldn't have watched. I think we all have, right? We're just all in this together. 150 F words in one movie. How do you even do that? Right? I just don't get it. It's like the word great in a Trump speech. Like that's his, right? 
It's like, dude, I, I, one, one, one of his birthdays, I'm going to get him like a list of adjectives or, or something. to yeah, No, like learn a few more words, right? It's crazy. But then people watch this stuff. Christians watch this stuff, and then they go, I, I don't understand why I can't quit cussing. Well, duh, right? And I, again, I'm, I didn't mean to go here. I'm not trying to be li- – this is – this is really comes down to this. It's not just about what we don't do. It's about what we do. We're supposed to be living for the glory of God. That's it. I'm not telling you you can never watch a show. I can tell you you can never turn on Netflix. But if that's what's feeding you 24-7 and you're rarely or never opening up your Bible, you think you're going to win this battle of the flesh and the spirit? No. The late Charles Spurgeon said this of Christians. He says, you are not and you are not to be as other men are. You are a people for God's possession. Your road is not the broad one where the many go. It is the narrow one that the few find. Your happiness is not worldly pleasure, but the pleasures at the right hand of God are forever. Isn't that good? Friends, we are misfits and we are exiles in this world. And we're here for a reason. And I'll just tell you this. The enemy has come after us in a, in a great way. And I don't mean a good way. I just mean it's, it's a tumultuous way. He's come, he's come to us with everything he has. And he's not attacking us like I normally experience in churches where people are fighting over, um, you know, wall paint, carpet colors, and this program shouldn't be here and all. No, we don't have much of that. It's in the personal lives of our, of our people. He's coming after them, them tooth and nail to get them to sin. I, I can't tell you of how many situations. Some of them have left, have removed their, themselves away from pastoral covering because they've chosen, they, they want to follow this sin. And it's happening. It's not just one person, one couple. It's, it's rampant and, and through many different people. Can I just tell you as your pastor, just pastor you for a moment. The sins that you think are little will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay. Run from them. Peter says they're waging war against your soul. There are dire consequences for giving in. And so I just feel led. At the end, we're, we're going to sing in just a moment. And I hope these truths are, I really want you leaving encouraged about these truths knowing who you are in Christ. And I hope it affects your doxology as we sing in just a moment. But if you're here and you have a sin that you're holding on in your heart and you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, would you repent today and leave it at the altar? Say, God, I want to act holy. You've, you've made me holy. I want to act holy. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.